Chapter Fourteen of Cycling in the Alps by C. L. Preston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Other Passes. The more one's touring experience extends, the more one realizes the unwisdom of being dogmatic as to the relative value in regard to picturesqueness of scenery that one has not seen. There are many passes in the Alps and I should be sorry to make exclusive claims to beauty for those I have described, and sorry to lay down the law about those I have not crossed. But there are a few facts which I may mention, I think, with perfect propriety, in the light of what information I have been able to gather at second hand concerning other passes. There is no doubt whatever that the list I have given includes the six highest of the carriage roads, and also, in the Stelvio, the most beautiful. It is equally beyond question that anyone who has covered all the ground I have described has seen the major portion of the beauties of Switzerland that are only accessible by road. It remains to consider what else there is available in the way of mountain cycling that is either desirable by reason of the picturesqueness of the individual pass or of the district to which it is the great highway. There is a little paragraph in the introduction to Baedeker's Switzerland which runs as follows principal alpine passes preeminent in point of scenery is the saint gotthard rendered easily accessible by the railway across it but it need hardly be said that its attractions are not seen to advantage from the windows of a train next to it ranks the splugen particularly on the north side where it coincides with the bernardino route the finest approach to the engadine is by the shin road and the albula pass and the beautiful Maloya Pass leads thence to the Lake of Como. From the Engadine, the interesting Bernina Pass crosses to the somewhat monotonous Valtellina, the journey through which has, however, been much facilitated by the railway from Sondrio to Colico. In western Switzerland, the Simplon is justly a favourite pass, though inferior to several of the above, while the famous Grain St. Bernard apart from its hospice, is undoubtedly the least interesting of the series. It will thus be seen that Baedeker, no mean judge, awards to St. Gotthard the palm of merit. The Stelvio, of course, is not mentioned because it is not in Switzerland. I think, however, that the most beautiful portions of the St. Gotthard, even though not seen to the best advantage from the train, must nevertheless be within the altitude which the latter of itself reaches. They are certainly striking in the extreme, and though I have crossed the St. Gotthard several times by train, the interest in the journey never grows less. So far as cycling goes, however, it seems reasonable in the first place to visit those regions which the railway has not reached, and leave the St. Gotthard to a later date. In the second place, I may quote with advantage the experience of a tourist who has crossed the pass a wheel, and disputes its claims to superlative beauty. In the Cyclist Touring Club Gazette of December 1899, Mr. W. Rees Jeffries wrote as follows. So far as I know them, I consider the Grimsel the most and the St. Gotthard the least picturesque of the Swiss passes. Perhaps I may be permitted to shortly describe the ascent of the St. Gotthard from Airolo, where the real climb commences. Leaving Airolo after a good meal, a most necessary precaution, the cyclist slowly pushes his machine up the innumerable windings by which the road ascends. At each corner he pauses and looks down the valley. 
the objects that force themselves on his attention are the unpicturesque township of Irolo and the railway which enters the famous tunnel just outside the town. Higher and higher he ascends, but still, Irolo and the railway. Past two small forts, but again, Irolo and the railway. These commonplace objects pursue him, and he seems unable to leave them behind. How different this from the Stelvio! There the eye of the tourist seeks with untiring delight the snow-covered summits of the Ortler Mountains. Their grandeur and their beauty impress him more and more the higher he ascends. How different, too, from the Grimsel! Here again the cyclist looks back with an interest that never tires upon the unique magnificence of the Rhone Glacier and the striking mountains that surround it. But interest in the St. Gotthard climb is soon exhausted, and it is with relief that after two hours' walking the windings are seen to terminate and the road to enter a narrow gorge. Is it the top? Unfortunately, no. In half a mile the gorge opens out and discloses another series of windings, one above the other, whose number the climber vainly tries to count. Closely hemmed in by the hills, there is nothing to arrest attention. However, after another full hour's work, the hotel near the top comes into view, and rest and refreshment are gladly sought. Resuming after a visit to the Lake of Lucendro, half a mile from the road, the descent commences. Compensation for the previous toil is found in a grand run down of about eight miles, which even the roughness of the road and the occasional stray cattle cannot spoil, and the cyclist pulls up at Hospenthal. Here the Furka road joins the St. Gotthard, and combined they follow a level course to Andermatt. The railway, I may add, itself attains a height of 3,787 feet, and it would appear open to doubt as to whether the ascent of the remaining 3,148 feet to the summit will repay the toil, at any rate, until less questionable journeys have all been taken. It may also be mentioned, by the way, that since the building of the famous tunnel and railway, the road has not been kept in good repair. With regard to the Splugen, I have long wished to cross it, but the difficulty is to do so without sacrificing much interesting ground. Now that I have covered all the passes directly entering or leaving the Engadine, I could well, and still hope to, take in the Splugen, either on the way to, or in returning from, Chiavenna, but I would strongly dissuade anyone who visits eastern Switzerland for the first or even second time to do the Splugen at the expense of spoiling a comprehensive trip. A glance at the map will show the impossibility of avoiding this great sacrifice if the Splugen route be chosen, especially if the fact be borne in mind that once at Chiavenna the entrancing Italian lakes are within easy reach. If one were to visit the lakes first and return by way of the Splugen, the Maloya Pass, the whole of the Engadine and the Tyrol would have to be ignored. If, on the other hand, the Engadine were first traversed and the descent to the lakes made through the beautiful Maloya, it would be impossible to return by the Splugen unless Lake Maggiore were missed altogether or much ground covered twice over. The Simplon, I believe, has one of the finest surfaces and offers perhaps the finest coast in all Switzerland. Here, however, one is confronted with the route difficulty again. The Simplon is merely a connecting link between two railway terminals at Brieg and Domo d'Ossola, respectively, 
I do not say that it is not worth the cyclist's while to cycle where the train is available, but I certainly think that so far as Switzerland is concerned, the virgin ground is much more interesting, and the probability of meeting with good services considerably greater. Where the rail supplants the diligence, the road suffers in consequence, and I have heard and read none too roseate accounts of the journey between Brieg and Geneva, where cycling is concerned. Personally, if I ever come to do the Simplon, I shall consider it as a means of taking a new route to the ever-attractive Italian lakes, which I have hitherto approached from the Engadine by road, or over the St. Gotthard by rail. In that event, a train journey as far as Brieg, and a cycle trip across the pass and down to Lake Maggiore would seem desirable. The description of the great St. Bernard given by Baedeker is scarcely conducive to a cycling journey in that direction, and unless a rider is possessed with the ambition to do this pass for the sake of saying that he has done it, I think it had better be left alone, especially as the cyclists whom I know to have made the ascent are the reverse of enthusiastic upon the subject. Indeed, one of them has stated that the walk up from Martigny occupied ten and a half hours. A pass well known to everyone who has visited Switzerland is the little Brunig, which connects Meiringen with Lucerne. I have been over it two or three times by rail, and had hoped to cross it by road on my last tour, but time prevented. It is worth cycling over, as the road affords more interesting views than the rail, in fact, they are mostly blotted out by trees on the train journey, and the surface is good. There is nothing of the stupendous, however, about the scenery, as the summit is only a little over 3,000 feet high. Another pass of medium altitude, which is well spoken of, is the Brenner in the Tyrol, but this, of course, is a long way east. Three separate friends of mine, however, have made the journey, and report the experience as an enjoyable one. On the whole, however, I think that no one whose experience of alpine passes is considerable will dispute the contention that the cyclist would do well, for many reasons, to concern himself with those routes I have described in detail before attempting others. One has not only to consider the suitability of each individual pass from the picturesque standpoint, but also the routes that lie before and after, and to my mind the Engadine should be the main objective of the cyclist on Swiss territory. When he has exhausted the possibilities of that delightful valley and its tributaries, the Furka and the Grimsel, undoubtedly demand attention. After these, the tourist will have gained so much experience of mountain roads that he may safely be trusted to determine for himself whether or not it is desirable to explore fresh woods and pastures new. End of chapter 14